0: You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Hi, and welcome to The Compass, the podcast documenting the struggles of life as an artist. I'm Leah Walsh. Hi, I hope you're all doing okay. I hope you've had a chance to be vaccinated and your loved ones are getting vaccinated and you've been able to see them a little bit more, a little bit more often. We just had my mom here for two weeks. I hadn't seen her in nine months. She hadn't seen my daughter in nine months, which is a long time for a a two-and-a-half-year-old, so my daughter is completely different, so it was really lovely to see them together, to see her, and just to have this tiny bit of extra help in person, another human being. Um, I'm sure some of you understand what I'm saying, just to have someone to let us go for a walk after she's in bed so we can get a little bit of space from our home A little bit of space like just for my husband and I without our lovely, charming daughter. Um, It really made a big difference to us, and we are sad now that she is gone. My guest today is Damian Jermaine Thompson. He is an actor and creator. We overlapped during undergrad at the University of Evansville for a couple of years. We're both based in New York City, and I'm always so happy when our paths cross. I admire Damien's drive to make his own path so much and his positivity. He's also recently been elected to the Actors' Equity Council, so he's working to make change to benefit the community from within that organization as well. I was so happy to hear about his work and his thoughts on building a creative life. I hope you enjoy the 175th episode of The Compass. start with the same question which is what do you do to keep from going to the dark side as an artist
1: what do i do to keep from going to the dark side as an artist um for me like I, i i try to dive or delve um into creation right um the the dark side for me a lot of times is filled with anxiety um self-doubt you know um i had this running kind of cassette recording in my head you know like you'll never work again this is the last job that you're doing
0: mm-hmm. they hide
1: they didn't they hired you because they knew you they hired you because you fooled them for 10 minutes they you know there's all these like things that you put in your head uh and although i know that you know clearly i've been working consistently for a while so um when you look at the factualness of it like it's doesn't make sense but it still doesn't stop that record from playing over and over and those feelings from coming up so right. for for me i i yeah i you know i have a podcast um that i started um during the pandemic um because i was like oh you know there's so much stuff going on in the world and i kind of want to throw my opinions out there so it was a podcast called um i'm not judging i'm just saying <laughs> uh,
0: i don't think i knew about this
1: yeah it's on uh you know it's on spotify and all the other stuff uh-huh. um, But so that I, I started writing a play. Um, I've written a few um, shorter, shorter plays. I've uh, done like a short film um, a few years back, which was my first short film called Black Question Mark. And that did fairly, fairly well. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I I also, I also try to help people. um, As weird as that may sound. And, um, I I feel like I started to cultivate over the years, really having a joy and a success. Sorry, a joy in other people's success, Um, like being just as happy of my friends or people that I know or that I've helped or given advice Mm -hmm. to uh, when they book something or you know or they're doing something great. Like it genuinely makes me happy and kind of motivates me. Right, like it's like, oh wow, like it's possible. Like you know, they're doing it, and I remember when they were going through hard times, and now they're doing this. This is amazing. Um, so that that helps. Um, and that I was also- a
0: conscious that was a conscious choice you made at some point to cultivate that, or is that something you've always found to be your I, I, first, first reaction? Because I know a yeah, lot of I, people I, can kind of fall down the hole of comparison and kind of getting yeah. down. Sometimes I was
1: I was never really big on comparison um but I did um you know I did it every now and then and I remember there was one point where I was dating someone and I was making a, a comparison about some job that a friend of mine had booked and she looked at me and and was like Damien, you're comparing yourself to a white female and it just kind of clicked right I was like Oh my God, you're right. Like, clearly I'm not going to be doing the same things that this person is doing, right? And even if it's someone that even looks more like you, like believing in your own individuality, right? And knowing that like, even though you may look the same, be around the same age group, um, that there is something that makes you unique. And one person getting something doesn't mean that you would have gotten it had they not been there, right? Right. Um, and I started to just kind of pay attention over the past, like seven, eight years. And it's something really weird. And I spoke to my therapist about it. Um, and therapy is another thing that has helped, (laughs) but Mm -hmm. like, I started to notice that when I would do good things or, you know, um, give gifts to someone or my body reacted in such a weird way. Like I started getting goose goosebumps. Right, like seeing someone happy would give me goose goosebumps. Like I'm even having it now, like just like <laughs> talking to you. It's weird, and it's like it's just something that has happened over the past seven or eight years. My body does this thing. Like when joy is in the air, it like I get goosebumps, and I'm like, I love ah, that. Yeah. <laughs> so I started to like you know pay attention to the to when that would happen and try to hmm. you know kind of cult- cultivate that. Like oh, when I help people, I feel better. And I know it's a cliche thing, but it's just yeah.
0: No, but it's an easy thing to not build into your life. And yes, unless you're someone who's really actively involved with like community service organizations or mm. something like that through a church or something. Yeah.
1: It's easy,
0: it's easy, especially in New York, to just focus on yourself all the time.
1: Yeah. And do that comparison game. Um, even like a, I teach, um, I'm an adjunct professor uh, this past year because of the pandemic, which is great. Mm-hmm. Um, I teach Shakespeare at the Hart School um, online, which is nice. But like even doing doing that, it's like, you know, although it's a job, within that job, I'm getting the satisfaction of like giving back and, you know, kind of mentoring. And, you know, I offer my services outside of class, you know, like because um, I, I really like to see people succeed and especially succeed at something that they love. Um, especially when they when there's self-doubt, right? Because I feel like growing up, I, I grew up in um, Miami. I was born in Jamaica and partly raised in Miami. But coming up, like, you know, the, the idea of like being a working actor and being a successful working actor was, you know, it, it wasn't as in reach as one would think, right? Um, no one in my family... Um, partaked in the arts. Um, Everyone is kind of an entrepreneur. So stepping out of that and being, you know, um, kind of like the arts person was different, you know. And I did get support from my mom, which I'm happy, happy, very happy about. (laughs)
0: Um,
1: But uh, there's, you know, it's it's still just that when it's not around you 24 seven, sometimes you don't know what you can do. So I remember my motivations, my um, high school drama teacher, my middle school drama teacher, um, and just hearing her stories and all, you know, would motivate me and think, oh, maybe I can do this. Maybe this is something that I can do. So I, I like to be that for someone else.
0: That's beautiful. How has that, how large of a group are you teaching in these classes?
1: Um it's like an average of like 15 students per class and it's um for like the first semester which was uh fall of last year mm-hmm. it was one class twice a week and then they asked me to do two classes twice a week each um for the spring so we just ended last week
0: Okay and- that's interesting um had you done much teaching before that cuz i was just thinking like it's one thing for teachers who've always taught in person to transition to zoom if it was your first time teaching, I don't know if it's a maybe an advantage that you're like designing your class for that format from the beginning.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I had done a lot of coaching um, and a lot of like guest teaching. Like I'd you know go to certain universities and do workshops, or you know, friends would call me in and be like, "Oh, can you work with our class?" Blah blah. So I've I've done things in that respect, but I've never had a full on like full semester class, right? Um, but it was, I, I found it to be a bit easier over Zoom. Um, it was easier for me to focus in on each individual student, right? Because it gave it that film and TV aspect where everything mm-hmm. is kind of magnified. Whereas in the classroom, sometimes you can get distracted by, you, you know, like, oh, they, they're standing in a cool way. So I'm not really like paying attention to what they're saying or, you know, their face is doing something weird, but. Because I'm seeing the whole picture, I'm not like you know pointing on, on in huh. in that specific area, but on Zoom, I find that I can I can fix the smaller things, right?
0: Yeah, just because it's so focused.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Well, I I love that you turn to creating to really block out those those darker thoughts. Do you um, is that something that you find you're able to like keep as a practice in your life? consistently or is it something that you kind of have to come back to in different seasons like consciously bring yourself back to like i need to make my own work now i need to have my own project so i have something i can yeah control um, to be, at this moment to, yeah
1: to, to be no no to be honest it's like um i've been very fortunate as a performer um and i it's it's something that i have to come back to and be like okay you know now you have some time put some time in because i i work pretty consistently so like my schedule is pretty um, full most of the time, which is why when I had those, you know, four or five, six months during the pandemic, it, it was nice. It was like, oh, wow. You know, like the first like three months when people were like, oh, my God, I'm getting, you know, this is horrible. I don't want to be here anymore. Like, it's horrible being home. I, I was like, oh, my God, this is amazing. This is great. <laughs> I was like, this is, oh, it's so good to be home and like do nothing. And, you know, people kept telling me like, oh, Damien, you should be doing more because, In a a year, you're going to look back and be like, I wish I had done this. And for me, I was (laughs) like, uh, no, for me, I'm like, I wish I would have taken that time and just relax and take some time
0: for myself,
1: right? Uh, And then, you know, after like three, four months, you know, the idea of like, okay, this is getting kind of long and, you know, the world is still kind of crazy. So then those kind of thoughts started coming in, but... For the first first part, I was like, "No, this is this is great. I'm gonna sit here and I'm gonna do nothing. I'm just gonna."
0: I mean, when do we ever allow ourselves to really rest like that? Yeah. Maybe if you if you're really sick, but yeah. and then it's not the same experience. You know, you're not really getting rest. Your body's like working overtime to heal itself.
1: Yeah, which is you know, it's interesting. I I used to realize that whenever I got a cold or the flu or anything like that it was always because I was not resting. And it was my body's way of being like, Damien, you will take a couple of days and you will rest. And so there's times where I'll talk to myself, right? I'm like, Damien, I know you're, get- you're getting sick. I promise I will sleep in two days, but we just gotta get through this. You know, never, <laughs> because I know it's my, it's my body's way of like, oh, well yeah. I'll make you
0: rest. Or like the day Boom. after you close a show, you're just yeah. suddenly wrecked.
1: Yeah, yeah. You weren't yeah. Listening. Yeah, so now I've, I've I've started to pay attention. Like the minute I start to get a little bit of like, oh wait, I'm there's a little scratching my throat. I was like, okay, it's time to put that eight hour sleep in. Got to get eight hours. <laughs>
0: um, what are you excited about right now as things are like starting to reopen a little bit? Is there anything creatively that's kind of sparking your interest or you're looking forward to down the line?
1: Uh, I mean, well, for what I'm doing now, um, like I said before, I'm currently in Toronto working on this um, feature film, Um, so I'm I'm looking forward to that. My, (laughs) My first day of recording should have been tomorrow, but it's been pushed back, I think, to next Friday.
0: Oh my gosh. So is like the a, anticipation uh, yeah. just driving you crazy? Yes.
1: The anticipation is driving me. I'm just like, I just want to be on set for the first day, you know, because we all get That's the little so Twitters, right? doesn't matter yeah. how many times you've you've done something. Um, and it's been a while since I've been, since I've done like a, a feature film. It's been like five years. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm, I'm excited about it. The role is great. Um, I'm, you know, I'm getting to be a little bit, um, comedic because it's a romantic com comedy um mm-hmm. so yeah and it's you know and they're diving in this idea of like having lines but also doing a little bit of improv because it's comedy so you can you know blah 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 blah, and so all of that is just like in my head and i'm like oh, i just just want things to like relax and open up and COVID to just really calm down and because they're still in modified lockdown here so um but i'm, lo- I'm looking forward to like <laughs> Going to like a really nice restaurant, mm-hmm. you know. Like I feel like all of them, um, the the ones that are open now, like it's it's great. But there's not like you know the the refined ones, right? Because they can't op- operate with like twenty five or fifty
0: percent capacity. How's your family been doing through all of this?
1: Uh, family's been doing well. Um, my dad or my stepdad is on dialysis. So he's had to be very cautious. Um, And my mom, you know, has to be cautious because they're living together. Um, My brother's a little bit more relaxed, Um, very, I mean, uh, very COVID conscious and COVID safe, but um, not as, you know, anxiety ridden about it. He's just like, you know, it is what it is. We just got to do our thing and go on, right? Um, and, and, you know, he's an entrepreneur, so he owns his own small business. So for him, it's just about getting things done and trying to stay on, on track. Right. And he also has my nieces and nephews to worry about. So his mind is a little bit forward.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I feel like it's definitely, everybody obviously has had so many varied experiences through all of this, but, um, it's been interesting as a parent to have a a little bit of a different experience of the, the lockdown yeah. and the quarantine period
1: yeah it was interesting because I was speaking to um amelia you know who's a friend friend of ours mm-hmm. um a couple days days ago and we were talking about you know things opening up and she's like you know like yeah I, I want things to open up but I have to think about my child right I want it to be safe yeah and she's like, you know, I, yes, I want to get back to work, but I don't want to get back to work at the expense of like risking bringing something home to my child. Right. So I was like, that makes sense.
0: I'll feel much, much better once all the kids can get vaccinated too. Yeah. Give me a lot of yeah. peace of mind. So can we talk a little bit about the Actors' Equity Council that you're a part of now?
1: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, totally.
0: You were just elected this this year, right? Or was it last year now? Yeah, yeah, no, it was
1: twenty it was last or... year. Yeah. Yeah. Twenty twenty. Yeah, it was twenty twenty. It was actually uh during the pandemic. Um, that's right. Which time it all you know... runs together for me now. So yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like the the year started when the pandemic started. <laughs> but um no, it it was um it's funny because I like like I said, you know, like I, my schedule has always been fairly busy that I never thought I really had time, you know, to commit and be on council or be on, you know, be a delegate or just, you know, put that kind of service time in. And when the pandemic hit and I didn't have much going on in the beginning, cause everything was like shut and closed. Um, and this opportunity came, came up, I was like, yeah, cause I've, I mean, our union is like, you know, I'm a very union oriented person. I believe in the, you know, positive things that it can bring, but, i i think our union needs work like it's in a very it's it's i i don't think it's in a very good place um mm. and but it doesn't mean that there's not optimism in that sense but i just feel like part of it is that we need to admit that we're not in a good good place right yeah um that makes sense in in order to bring change um so i um i got the 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 email came out. I, I decided to run. You know, got a few folks to like sign and support because you needed a certain amount of signatures. And then I got on. And to be honest, like, you know, I was shadowing a few meetings, a few council meetings, which we we're able to do as members. Like anyone can do it. But again, like, you know, like no one ever thinks, oh, let me take this time to go sit for three hours or four hours to listen to what our union right. is talking about, right? Um, And so I did. And it's, it was shocking. <laughs> it was shocking. It was like, the only thing I can equate it to is like, if you've ever had parents, if you've ever had young parents, and you reach a certain age, and you realize, wow, my parents are young, and they might not really know everything. <laughs> might not know. You know, like it's like, he it's like, wow, human. <laughs> yeah, like I'm trusting this. I'm, I'm thinking that they're gods and that they know right. everything and that, you know, they're this, you know, like great person. I mean, like great, you know, right. uh, out of this world uh, figure, but they're just human beings with flaws. And a lot of times they don't know what they're doing. And a lot of times they're making a lot of mistakes. And that for me was like, I was like, oh my God, this is our union needs help you know, like Mm. our union needs, needs help. And so um, one of the major things that I've been advocating for, because, you know, I I have other friends that have a list of things that they're trying to, you know, change or improve. And for me, I'm like, I don't think we can do much until we get full transparency. And there's this just a huge lack of transparency within our union. I think it's become a culture in this country in general, right? Where accountability threatens people, Mm. you know, like being able to quote you on something or being like, this is what you said and bringing it back and having people stand by their word is become this, oh my God, you know, but what if people use it against me? Or what if, you know, um, someone discriminates against me because of something I believe in? And I'm like, that's a part of being a leader. It's like, if you're willing to put yourself out there, you have to be able to stand in the face of all that, right? And if you, and if you can't, or if you choose not to, which is your choice, um, you know, no one's saying that you have to, um, that you might not need to be in that leadership position. And that's a hard thing for people to grasp, you know, because I feel like there's also a sense of importance that people get from this. Um, a lot of things I advocate for when I sit back, it's like I don't benefit from these. I mean, I benefit in in a way where, you know, if the people around you are, are happy and, you know, and um, excited, then you will be happy and excited in, in, in that sense. But you know i've i've spoken on behalf of like defunding our health fund and getting a health fund that actually works for the members um and i've you know like i have extra weeks i i i i work a lot so i've never had an issue right. having health insurance it's not a thing for me but i'm also not um contempt with like thinking about myself and realizing that 15% of our union get to use the health insurance, you know? 20 if we're being like generous, like very generous. And the only way that those 20% get to use the health insurance is if 80% of the people don't, like if 80% of the people don't make their required weeks, that's the only way that 20% gets it. And if we all made our weeks, it would be virtually impossible for the health fund to actually work. So it's like looking at things like like that, it's like even if you worked 52 hours a week, sorry, 52 weeks a, a year, you still don't pay for the year health insurance that you as one individual get. You still have to rely on the people that work and don't make their health oh, weeks. I see. And they their unused health weeks is what's giving the 20% their actual health
0: insurance. Right. And that just doesn't seem like a viable
1: it just oh, doesn't yeah. seem fair. Yeah. It just doesn't, Which doesn't seem fair. surprise
0: and it, me. especially since the health industry in our country. Yeah. In general, it's uh Yeah.
1: And so it's like, you know, it's um, for me, I think it's a bit selfish to think about yourself and think in that sense of like, well, I'm making my, my weeks and, you know, and I'm doing blah, blah, blah. And
0: yeah. um,
1: yeah. So, yeah. So that's, that's been, you know, so, and, and, it won't necessarily affect me in the most positive way, um, but I think it will. As a union, it will benefit us in the sense that yes, we might defund it, and we don't have a perfect system now. But it's that idea that if you take away what doesn't work, you will be forced to find something that will. And advocating for state, you know, run health or, um, federal run health programs is a better use of our money than giving 15 to 20% of our constituents health insurance while the other 80 just sits there and have to figure it out on their, on their, on their own. And so I, I advocated with a few other people, um, which it didn't, you know, didn't pass because, you know, there's a lot of resistance and right rightly so you know i'm i'm not saying that it's a cut and you know a black and white issue um but i i somewhat advocated for kind of what canada does where you i mean they have a federal health thing but that money that you would put in that health thing you give the actors like you pay the actors more so the contracts are actually more so if I'm trying to make 11 weeks to get six months and I don't and I get, and I make 10 weeks. It's not that now I don't have health insurance and I don't have the money to get it. At least if I was being paid those 10 weeks, you know, paid extra, I can use that money and advocate for like Obamacare or whatever resources, you know, we have in our regions. Um, So yeah, it's just looking at it from the greater good of like, what is better for 51,000 members and not 2,000 members or 3,000 members
0: those numbers are just so shocking yeah so and
1: they shocking. don't they, and they don't tell you like that's the thing no one talks talks in the just like the plain transparency you know way like t- transparent way it's 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 always riddled with like fear and oh my god and people won't have health insurance and we won't it's like the majority of us don't have health insurance
0: right right already i think it's admirable that you're you're stepping up and you're volunteering to work within that system like as as difficult as i'm sure it will be because it's going to be such a bureaucracy as you know even though our union does a lot of great things, it also leaves a lot of things undone. And, um, that's why we need, need people like you on the inside.
1: (laughs) Yeah, no, no. Yeah. But there's, there's one thing is like, you know, each time you go to like a meeting or something like, you know, the recent town hall that they had when people were asking, like, we need like concrete plans to get back to work. Like, what are we doing? Right. Um, you know, starting a meeting with like thirty to forty five minutes of telling us how great you're doing doesn't help, you know, if we're here because people are having concerns and issues, it's like take the time to find out what the concerns are and address the actual concerns that are being brought up instead of giving us a forty five minute lecture on mm. the great things that you quote unquote, are are doing, right? I think we know the things that are good. Like no one is negating the fact that there isn't some good being done. but, as a majority, it's like, you know, the just having that transparency and being able to see and having the um, the strength to, to admit what's not working is the only way that you will be able to Im- improve. Otherwise, we're giving it a Band-Aid and then further down the line, you know, it's going to be the same crap. Like the pandemic forced people to see what the issues were because like like myself, right? I knew that there were problems, but I was too busy. You know, like I was like, oh, my career, I have to do this, I have to do that, whatever. And now like stepping back, it's like man, like there is a lot of issues.
0: Yeah, and with this pause, we have that opportunity to like really try to turn them around.
1: Yeah. In our in our personal lives, you know, in our mm-hmm. careers, like you know, thoughts of the future, right?
0: Um, are there any lessons that you've learned in the last couple years that you're really proud of that you wouldn't mind sharing?
1: Yeah. Uh, oh God, you just, it's funny just asking me that it has already, you can hear the quiver in my voice.
0: <laughs> it could be something already getting small a little, or something uh, No, big. I'm already
1: getting a little, you know, I'm just already getting a bit emotional because it's, mm. it's been, you know, it's been a year. It's been a, uh, 2019 was a very hard year for me. Even before the pandemic, I um I went through like a very horrible breakup um mm-hmm. and it got just not very good, like very negative in certain parts. And and also I lost a lot of people. Like I it, it's the year that I lost the most um people and it was wasn't It it wasn't older people, so it hit in in a different way. It was like mortality kind of set in, right? So -hmm. by the time the pandemic came, it was just like, we are mortal human beings on another, you know, like to another level. Like we, you know, you've just managed to, I feel like the pandemic has aged me in in that sense of showing me that life is not as long as we think. Yeah. and also that it's it could be you could be here one day and not be here the next. Um, and the biggest lesson that that I've learned is that we you know, we have like you know if we're lucky, we have seventy years, right? Seventy, seventy-five, you know, give or take a few, you know, five or ten, um, and that everyone has that and when we are mean to other people or you know or treat people in in certain ways that don't uplift them or better their lives that we're robbing someone of that that short window and that for me hit last year in a way that I'd never like that it had never hit me before um that the way you treat someone really affects them, and it's you know we've heard that cliche thing and all that kind of stuff. But if you think think about it, and I you know I make the comparison to people like Jeff Bezos, and I'm not just attacking uh, corp- corporations or, or a- anything, but just him for an example, someone that is able to make billions in this country, right? So much money that you cannot s- spend it in one lifetime but you're willing to take other people's lifetimes. Like you're literally taking Mm -hmm. the years from them to put on your own and you can't spend that in your life, your lifetime. Right. So wouldn't it be better to take that extra that you have and afford these people, you know, a a couple, like 10, 20 years of a great life, you know, while they're here and, and, it's not going to take anything away from you because you will still be living beyond your comfort. Right. I, I, I just think to have companies that are making billions and having people that are working for those companies that are barely surviving, you know, not having health insurance, not knowing where the next, you know, how the next bill is going to be paid. I, I think it's, it's mon- monstrous. Um and that, for me, hit it just hit me this past year on a on a real level, that we have to do more to help people while they're here, because mm-hmm. when you know when someone is gone, it's like oh I could have done or I should have done or you know what you know how could I have made their lives better. Um, we can do it while they're here.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and how can we how can we do that on whatever scale? is possible in our own lives.
1: Yeah. Like just something simple as, you know, like, I I, I think that's why for me, that cultivating helping someone or cultivating being there for someone, like my friends know that you can call me at 2 a.m. in the morning to put you on a Mm self-tape, to ask like an advice, you know, like I'm kind of a life coach to like a lot of people and they are (laughs) to me, to me, to me too, you know, like I, if I have, problems and things, I can always call someone and have a talk and just, and just realizing that that's, for me, that's how I made it through 2019. Um, My friends, you know, even more than my family, I would say my friends, like the chosen family, right? Um, Yeah. The importance of community.
0: Yeah, well, I was going to say, piggybacking off of that, can you tell me a little bit about your artistic community and your, any collaborators that you've found that have been important to your lifeblood as an artist and being able to do your own projects along the way?
1: Yeah, um, there were, you know, there's a few people, there's three individuals in my life that... um, that really inspired me in a really great way, in a really great way. And the first one is my high school slash middle school theater teacher. Um, We met at a performing arts school in middle school. Um, But then when I was going to the performing arts high school, she just happened to be transferring that same year. So I had the privilege of being with her um, for an extended period of time. But she was the one that got me into the arts Um, I got into the arts because I had a horrible stutter. I came from Jamaica, I was put in a speech class and it was kind of abrasive and just Mm. a very harsh technique. Um, And so I developed a stuttering, which was like every other word. I couldn't even say my name. It was like, hi, I'm Damien and I'm like, that's how it was. And she realized that when I was on stage, I didn't stutter. And so she um, encouraged me to audition for the performing arts program and I did and I got in and just kind of you know went on from there. But just like her life teachings have been very, very helpful. Um, and then the next person was um, one of our professors in uh, our undergrad. Um, And it was someone, you know, someone now who I mean, we both know this person, I won't say their names out of respect, but it was someone that, you know, later on, we found out had a lot of issues and struggles and demons that um, they were over overcoming. which was hard for me because, you know, like I saw that and I agreed. I mean, you know, it, there was major issues there. Mm. But on the other side of it for me was um, that person also played a, a, a huge part in me being an artist um, and was kind of a mentor for me there while while I was there for four, four years. Um, and just was, you know, like didn't baby me, like I, I wasn't um, – the chosen one. I wasn't the, you know, the favorite one in the class. Right. Um, and I remember he asked me a very important question. He said, he brought me in his office and he said, is this easy for you? And I I was like, what he's like acting is acting easy. You know? And I, I told him, you know, I was very honest with him. I said, because at that time I was still struggling with stuttering. Like um, I was pretty good on stage, but cold readings, or if I got really, really nervous, it would come every now and then. And so, you know, I told him, I said, Hey, I said, it's actually not. I said, it's actually, it's a battle. You know, it's a, it's a struggle. Um, And it's something I work at every day. It's something I work at every time I'm on stage. I don't have the luxury, especially at that time to just, Relax and be myself, and I'm just acting. You know, it's always like, how can I use the technique so that I don't stutter, but but I'm still being authentic and you know, right. and, and per- portraying you know a real human being. And and then he said to me, he's like, that's good. He said, you're not the most talented person at this school, and you're not the most talented person that has come through the school, but you're one of the hardest working. And he's like, never stop that, never stop mm. that, because. That's what's going to make you work is your work ethic. And it just, it stuck with me because, you know, it was just, it was just like a real conversation and a real thing. And he wasn't like, you know, kissing my butt or something. It was just, it was like, no, it's like this and this, and it's not always just about talent and your natural, you know, given, you know, um, gifts. Um, A lot of it comes down to self-motivation, self-determination, and, how hard you're willing to work. And I've never thought of myself as a, you know, the most talented actor, but I, I've never questioned my ability to work. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, e- even though I have, I, we talked about having that record playing in your head, there is still, I, I'm still confident that this is something that I can do. This is something I can make a living from. and. I know it is because I know that I'm willing to put the work in even when it's not coming easy. Um and then the third person was in was the head of my grad program and you know tying it back to the stuttering he basically said and this is how I licked the final part of it. Mm-hmm. We he had a thing where he's like I want you to document every time you stutter. Um, write it down in a journal, and then we'll meet you know, once a week or once every other week, and we'll talk about it. And it, you know, I started to see that when I started stuttering, it was because I didn't feel like I had something important to say. I was just trying to get the words out. I thought that people didn't want to hear me, you know. Uh-huh. Um, I was just trying to rush and, I'm just you know, just going. And my breath, like I would hold my stomach, hold my ab- abdominal area, and so I just wouldn't be breathing. And he said, I want you to do an exercise. Try to recreate your stuttering. And I was like, what? He's like, yeah, when you're in public, you know, around friends or colleagues, intentionally try to stutter. And I was like, what? Okay. And then I did. And it was like a weird thing because like I realized when you start to be able to, when you can control it and actually make it happen out of choice, then you start to let go of the um, stigma that is surrounding it, right? Um, let go I mean, of the stories that you, you built you up. happening to you in that moment. Yeah. When it's not happening to you and you are creating it, you see that it's not as big a deal as you think. You see that people will be patient. They will wait, right? right? Um, and that a lot of the, the thoughts that are going through your head is just that. It's thoughts that are going through your head. And no one is rushing you. No one's like, you know, what, why is he stuttering? Like, you know, people just wait and then they hear what you have to say and you continue. So that, um, yeah, that was a, a a major revelation. And just like the teachings and stuff also. And the, like, it was a very language-based program. And I I, I have a, a love of like rhetoric and like rhetorical speaking and, um, that was really nurtured in graduate school.
0: Can I ask um, where your thoughts on your stuttering live in your mind today? Like, does it come up? Do you think about it much? Or is it really something that you're like, Oh, that's something I did earlier in my life Uh, or does it have a life in your imagination nowadays?
1: I I think it's still, it's still present. Um, It doesn't, run my life. Right. There's not a, there's not as much anxiety around it. Um, but it, you know, it still comes, um, it comes when I'm passionate, um, a lot of times. And Mm. a lot of times I just have to remember, like the more passionate I get is the more articulate I get. Um, which is interesting. It's like, I've managed to, um, overcome it by being overly articulate, if, if that makes sense. Um, but it's still, yeah, it's still, it's still, it's still there. It's just that now it's probably like 5% on my, on my mind versus growing up. Um, it was, you know, like 75%, you know, in, in college it was like 60 to 65. Right. Um, so it was just slowly chipping away at
0: it. Right. Yeah and it's, and and
1: being um, able to like i i remembered um in graduate school there was a a role i was playing where the character had a mouthpiece um like that he had it's a thing that covered his soft palate cuz he was born without a palate and so with the piece in he speaks very articulate and without it he's honked off like this so you can't understand what he's saying uh-huh. right and so my biggest fear was like as the character when I put the mouthpiece in and I'm, and I'm supposed to be this articulate person that I would stutter. And so all night I was like, just like <laughs> fretting about it as the run, you know, and like, um, it was like the third week in like the last week of the run. And I was like, Oh my God, I, I'm almost to the finish line, you know, da da da, and I remember one night I did it and like, I got so excited because the character got excited and I, I stuttered. And the audience erupted in this huge laughter. And, uh, and I was just like, oh my God, this can be a character choice. This is amazing. Like, you know, like, it's just like the, the idea that we, all this stuff that we put on our head, like sometimes if we just let it go, we never know what the reaction will, will be, right? And I, yeah, and, from, and that just eased up so much tension and frustration. And it never happened again, but it gave me a peace of mind that like, if it did happen, it wouldn't yeah. be the worst thing in the, in the world.
0: Yeah. And in some way, like what would happen if we all brought like 100% of ourselves? I think everybody has something that they're like, well, that, that isn't something that anyone wants to see. That's not something that I I should ever show to anyone. (laughs) And it's like, actually, probably a really interesting part of you. Yeah. That might add to what you're doing. Yeah.
1: I, I, my, my acting journey has been from, I used to think that I would have to be a character. And I would put on a character that was separate from myself. And part of that was rooted in the idea of like, this person doesn't stutter, right? And as I continued my training, I realized that like the character has to start from me. Like I have to be the human being that is speaking. Right. <laughs> right? right. Um and that's yeah, and that's that's a little bit of undergrad, a little bit of grad, you know, that that journey has just been like, yeah, I have to start from me as a real person. Mm.
0: Can you tell me a little bit about the short film that you made? Have you, is it available for people to see or what was your experience? making Yeah. Um,
1: um, so, um, it's called black question Mark and the motivation, um, around it. It's, it's based on my personal experiences in New York. Um, which ties again, a lot into my speech, um, being born in Jamaica and having gone through speech classes and, you know, and speaking the way that I do now, um, when I would go into rooms, like people always asked me, oh, can you speak more, more like yourself? Right. Or like, do it more like Mm -hmm. you. And so I would think I was like acting and, you know, I would do it, do it again and just try to take all the acting out. And they would still be like, you know, oh, you sound a bit British, which I don't sound British. I just, you know, I, I don't know. I I kind of have a non-regional accent, I guess. But um, so like all these things kept coming up and I just didn't know what it was. And I just thought, oh my God, I'm, you know, being that actor that's like acting. And then a friend of <laughs> mine was a reader. And, a, <laughs> and then a friend of mine was a reader in the broom once. And, you know, I went through this whole experience with a d- director telling me that I wasn't you know, that I wasn't being myself and that I needed to talk mm-hmm. more like me. And, and then as we left, my friend called me and was like, I just wanted you to know that you were being yourself. You were talking like yourself. And just listening to the conversations after you left, they thought that you had, that you were putting on a proper way of speaking. But me knowing you and knowing that that's how you talk, like, It wasn't, you know, but they, long story short, they expected a more urban sound or a more quote unquote black sound. Um, And so that had been happening a few times and it happened in in an audition for a commercial where the casting person acted out what she would like me to say. And it was just like so jarring that like I started laughing which she took to mean, you know, like it was a joke and I was like, uh, okay." Cuz she, you know, <laughs> I, I would try to do it and she was like, "No, you need to say it like this." You know, like, "Oh my gosh." When I go to McDonald's, i will be doing it and I was like, "Oh, wow." And I was just like, "Okay." And she's like, "Try it." And I tried it and she's like, "That that's good, right?" And I was like, "Yeah." Um. <laughs> I, was like, I didn't book it, which is fine, but like um Jeez. It, it was just yeah, it was just that kind of thing. And so, you know, um actors are we bitch a lot, you know, we complain a lot and i thought instead of complaining and being that that actor that is always you know going to other actors and being like can you believe that this happened and blah blah i was like how how can i use this and kind of put a positive spin on it and so i decided to write this short film kind of like talking about that issue right um and so I sat down and I think I knocked it out in like 15 minutes. Like I just like quickly Amazing. wrote it. I know it was shocking because yeah. I was I was very impassioned and I was just like, I'm just going to write this. And so I wrote it and a friend of mine read it uh, and she, you know, asked me, she's like, um, is there a part in there for me? <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> uh, because uh, it was um, based on two New York actors, um, that are you know one is more your traditional black quote-unquote and then one is more you know the um the safe black quote-unquote and they're living together and kind of navigating the same experiences and how you know it affects each person Mm -hmm. uh and so there's casting people in it and so I yeah I said yeah you can add yourself as a casting person so There was a scene that was a one-person casting person, and she turned it into two, which was great because then it, you know, there was chemistry between two people. It it brought the film, I think, to a a higher level, Um, and it showed that it wasn't a black and white thing because the the casting um, people weren't white, right? So it's it's not an issue of black and white. It's an issue of what our society expects to see, right? Mm -hmm. And even me as a as a Black male still succumb to those ideas, right? To 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 those. When I get a script, I'm like, oh, may, oh, he's black. Let me drop drop my voice, right? Like, right. And It's, it's like, just this these is ideas that you probably that want
0: to see from me, yeah. And, you want and what I've job. seen,
1: yeah. And what what I've seen on TV, what right. I've seen, you know, on the radio, on uh, in movies. So it's it's just this like, I realize how much the arts influence what we think and, and how we behave as human beings. So I decided to write this film. So I wrote it, shot it. Um, I was lucky enough to have, um, a DP friend of mine that had like a whole crew and he did it for free. So the, so that wasn't a a cost. The major cost was just sound because you can't really do anything without paying for sound. Um, and it did well. It went to a couple film festivals. It went to the International Black Film Festival in Nashville it went to um the Orlando Film Festival the Albuquerque Film Festival and a few others it won uh best uh short film at the New York Premiere Film Fest- Fest- Festival um i've had like uh schools that have seen it at film festivals ask me to be able to play it in their classrooms you know it's just so a way amazing. of like educating students on the you know the industry and you know how we can make change and create change mm-hmm. and break expe- expectations. Um, so yeah, it's been a, it's been a, a good journey. It's um it's, I don't have it out, out like for everyone to see. Okay. Um, But I should, I should, cause it's been, I, I initially had it password protected cause it was still, you know, doing, doing its rounds. Um, But now I just kind of send it. If someone asks me, I just send it, but I should, After this podcast, I will upload (laughs) it on YouTube. (laughs) You let me know and I will let the listeners
0: know when you decide to do that. But I would would definitely love to see it.
1: I will upload it on YouTube and it will be black, B-L-A-C-K, question mark.
0: Okay, great. Um, Yeah. Um, Well, I think we're pretty much at the end of our recording time, but I usually ask two quick questions right at the end so we can do like a lightning round (laughs) with these two really quick Um, and then we'll wrap up. The first one is when you do feel yourself kind of going to that dark place, um, are there any tangible things that you reach for again and again that help you combat it, like a book that you reread or music that you listen to or something like that?
1: Um, to be honest, like, well, what I do is I, I tend to try to find like a, a TV show and, um, I, you know, I'm a firm believer of letting the emotions run and, you know, and experiencing them. Um, I don't necessarily feel like I need to sit in a room and sit with my emotions and just, you know, and just experience them by myself and you know, on <laughs> my own. And what I do is I, I get a TV show, you know, and um, most times one that's emotionally driven and I kind of get lost in it. I get lost in this other world. I allow myself to cry, to, you know, to go through the emotions that the actors are going through. And, and in a way it gives me a cathartic feeling, right? Like I'm still experiencing all the things that is going on in my, in my life, right. but there's a bit of a separation to it.
0: I love that. I do that too. Um, and then the the last question, and maybe this will be related is Is there a piece of art that you've experienced lately that you want to recommend of any art form?
1: A piece of art. Um, So I'm, I'm, I have a great love for visual art as well. Um, There's a, there's a guy by the name of Hernan Bass, um, a painter um, and he's, very big now. Like he has shows, you know, in New York, Paris, like, you know, he's at Art Basel. Um and his art for me, there's so much emotion within the art that a lot of times I I go back to looking at his his uh stuff. Um and it reminds me of Edward Monk, who's one of my favorite artists. And that's one of the things I love about Edward Edward Monk is that his pieces are so emotional. Um, it, when you look into the character's eyes and he even wrote like small poetry um for each of his paintings um and I had the pleasure of going to his museum in uh Oslo in Nor- Norway and there they have the writing selections next to each painting and just like reading those words and looking at the painting it's just like oh uh, it yeah it kind of like inspires me like over and over again.
0: Well, Damien, thank you so much. This really just made my day. Well,
1: thank you. It was a pleasure. I can't believe that I, this time flew. <laughs> it
0: flew by too fast. <laughs> thank you for listening to The Compass Podcast. If you find these conversations valuable to your life as an artist and would like to support the ongoing production of The Compass, Please consider becoming a patron at patreon.com slash the compass podcast. Pledges start at as little as $1 a month and anything you can give would be greatly appreciated. Also, if you have a moment, please review and follow in iTunes. Every little bit helps other listeners to find the podcast. I'd like to thank the following people for their generosity. The compass cover art is by Kim Miller music by Brendan Spieth, audio assistance from Monica Choksi and a special thanks to Frankie J. Alvarez. See you next time.